G'day everybody and welcome back to the House of Mario. This song call we celebrate 25 years of the Pokemon series by taking a journey back to the Kalos region that was introduced in Pokemon X and Y in 2013. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, I have not played these games since all the way back when they came out in 2013. And, you know, it was a pretty special time in my life what really... um. Unfortunately, can't be replicated. I finished high school in 2012 and 2013 was kind of like a bit of a gap year for all of my friends and that. So a lot of that year, you know, we, uh, you know, had kind of casual jobs and stuff. But, you know, we spent a lot of time together hanging out, playing Pokemon, all that type of thing. And, uh, man, it was so much fun. We were just looking forward to these games coming out in October and finally having the chance to play them. And when they finally come out, we played them all day all weekend, we smashed them out. We finished them in the first like day, if not the weekend or whatever. But got a lot of great memories with Pokemon X and Y. And while I think uh, ultimately Pokemon X and Y might be one of the weakest in the series, um, if not the weakest, maybe due to uh, its uh, development time and um, all of that being the first 3D game in the series, I really do have a very soft spot for um, this region. I think the Kalos region is really, really quite special. I think it's charming. I think the music, the music is amazing. I can't believe how amazing it is. Just like all the battle themes, the route music, it's uh, it's top notch. It's one of the best soundtracks in the whole Pokemon franchise, and I don't, I don't say that lightly at all because every single soundtrack, um, you know, if you've been listening to a few of these episodes where I'm going through each region. You know that I kind of like get to like the first route. I'm like, oh, this sounds really nice. And oh, the battle theme sounds really good. And, you know, this is uh, no different. Every single one is an absolute banger. Absolutely amazing. Cannot wait to uh, jump into it. But that's a bit of my history with these games. And, um, yeah, I can't believe. So I'm recording this in 2021. I cannot believe these games are approaching their eighth birthday. You know, this is the point in... Um, in my gaming history where it actually makes me feel old. You know, I just assume that, you know, red and blue, gold and silver, uh, ruby and sapphire, you know, that was a long time ago. But these uh, these games now, they they feel new, but they're, they're not at all. <laughs> I guess like the first th- 3DS games, so, um, well, in the series on 3DS, so, oh, dear. But um, these games did introduce a bunch of brand new things to the series. So the biggest one being a brand new type. A brand new type had not been introduced since the uh, second generation where they introduced dark and steel types. But uh, because of some balancing issues and that with dragons and that, they introduced a brand new type called the fairy type. And uh, fairies, they're super effective against dragon type and they cannot be affected by dragons. So they're just a, a massive counter to one of the most powerful and rarest types in the whole game. So there was a big utilization for that. And it also gave um, some other types that, um, you know, weren't so useful, such as poison and steel, um, something that they're super effective against. So that was a great sort of way to balance out the game. And I've got to say, years later, the fairy type is an absolutely fantastic addition as well. Um, not only because of the new Pokemon that they introduced in this uh, generation and generations after, but they um, actually retro- rec- uh, <laughs> retroactively went back um, to older Pokemon and gave them the fairy type. Um, like Clefairy, for example, just 
why is it a normal type? It kind of made no sense. But um, going back and giving it the fairy type, it just makes 100% sense. Uh, same with um, Jigglypuff, Wigglytuff, all of those Pokemon, which is just like the pink, cute things. Um, so they've got the fairy types. But even some unexpected ones like Meryl and Azumarill, who were introduced in Generation 2 as well, they were given the fairy treatment and just many more po- Pokemon. Uh, more Wild comes to mind. Um you know, more wilds basically like, I don't, I don't even know what to explain. It's got this big mouth coming from the back of its head and in sprite form, I remember thinking like, what is it? Because you couldn't really see, but it wasn't until like the 3D models with these games where I was like, oh, that's what more wild is. It's like this thing standing on hind legs with arms and it's just got this big mouth that it attacks with coming from the back of its head. It's kind of like a big, uh, big Venus fly plant some somewhat, yeah. Yeah, just a really sort of <laughs> sort of weird Pokemon. But anyway, that was that's a Generation 3 Pokemon. We don't have to talk about that. So we'll go through some of the new things that they introduced in these games as we go along. But um, the Pokemon, that is the main thing we come to brand new Pokemon games for, to check out the new designs, the new Pokemon that will become our favorites. And um, coming off of Generation 5, so Generation 5, like I said in the last episode, they introduced 156 brand new Pokemon. And for these games, they changed to 3D models. Um, it's Game Freak's pretty much first 3D game, um, especially on this scale and this size. So um, it kind of shows with the amount of uh, new critters that they introduced. But they introduced 69 Nice. Brand new Pokemon to, to the games. And, you know, um, I think that... I think they're definitely quality over quantity because um, you know you can you can make the argument that there's a there's a there's at least a handful of Generation Five Pokemon which are like yeah they're they're fine at the very least you know type of thing but I think um, going through the list of the 69 nice new Pokemon and Pokemon X and Y um, I think they're really cool so we've got the starter Pokemon we've got Chespin uh, Fennekin and Froakie. And my first playthrough of the Kalos region, I uh, picked Fennekin. Had no idea what it was going to evolve into. Um, really kept a... I was quite lucky with the spoilers. I had no idea what it was going to evolve into. Probably a bigger Firefox of some sort. That's a pretty good assumption. And, um, you know, it evolves into Braxian and uh, Delphox. And Delphox is a pretty cool Pokemon, um, ultimately becoming a Fire Psychic type. And it didn't end up being my favorite of the three in the end. But I think it is a really, really cool Pokemon. It's just cool typing and just the fact that it didn't become a firefighting was a plus in my books. Um, so then we had Chespin, who evolves into Quilladin, who's kind of like a pine cone with arms. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. Then it evolves into Chestnut, which is uh, basically based off like a, a knight type of thing. It's got like, it's kind of like Bowser, got like a big spiky shell on the back and um, yeah, kind of like a little squirrel head. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, but uh, Chestnut, one of my least favorite Pokemon in this whole generation. I know, you know, I'm sure it has a lot of love because it's a starter Pokemon and I respect that, definitely respect that. But personally for me, I'm, I just look at it and go, hmm, I don't know. It doesn't excite me too much, but it's got a cool typing. It's a grass fighting type. So they couldn't completely get rid of the fighting types from generation uh, six. So don't worry about that. If you want your fighting types, you've got plenty of them. And personally, what become my favorite was the Froakie line. And I know the Froakie line and Greninja are some of the most popular Pokemon in Pokemon history, literally actually won the most popular Pokemon in uh, the 2020 Google vote or whatever it was where you could vote on Google for your favorite generations. But um, it became my favorite as well. And, you know, the anime, Smash Brothers, a lot of these things definitely helped Greninja's sort of uh, rise to fame and fortune. But 
um, yeah, I think that's how it ultimately came for me too. But Froki evolves into uh, uh, Frogadur and um, evolves into Ven Greninja, who's a dark, uh, sorry, a water dark type. And what's really interesting about this, these typings as well is actually that their second typings actually are a reverse type chart. So um, with uh, Chespin, it's uh, a grass type, so it's super effective against Froki, but it's a water type. But when it evolves, its fighting type actually becomes strong against Greninja's dark type. So there's actually like a bit of a reverse type chart going along with just a normal type chart, which is the the grass, water, fire sort of standard affair that we're used to. So I, at the time, and even now, I think that's a really nice touch that they added. I think it was an absolutely fantastic addition to the Pokemon series. But going down the list here, so it's not a super big list here, but we've got like, uh, we've got Bunnelby and Diggersby. I think they're just like really cute, unique Pokemon who dig with their ears. I think that's a, a cool touch. Being, um, you know, Bunnelby, he is just like the normal type you come across in Route 1. So nothing amazing or anything, but Diggersby, how it's just like, it looks like a dirty Nesquik kind of rabbit. <laughs> and uh, it becomes a normal ground type. So that's pretty cool typing. And the normal bird that you come across in every single Pokemon game um, in this game actually becomes really cool. And it would have to be easily my favorite starter bird Pokemon that you run into early in the game. So Fletchling, it's a normal flying type, but then it evolves into Fletchinder, who is a fire flying type. And Talonflame, who is one of the more popular Pokemon in um, all Pokemon history, is also a fire flying type. And it became really, really unique because of its um, ability. So it has flame body, which is a standard sort of affair. If you touch it with a physical move, you will get burned. And it's actually really useful for hatching eggs, actually halving the hatch distance of eggs in the Pokemon games if you're looking to do some breeding or some shiny hunting. But um, it actually has an ability called Glade Wings. And this ability gives a priority to flying type moves when the Pokemon's HP is at full. And this was really useful. So any flying type move, whether it's a brave bird or any just really powerful moves, it has priority. So no matter on the other Pokemon speed stat, you will always go first. And this is a unique ability to Talonflame. And this really did help it rise in the competitive scene and just popularity of the Pokemon. And there was no other Pokemon that had this much utility um, in the uh, competitive scene out of like, you know, Pidgeotto, um, Hoot Hoot, or sorry, Noctowl. Um, you know, Staraptor, like, no, all these Pokemon, they're all pretty cool. I, I like them all. Obviously a big fan of uh, Pidgeot from the first games, a little nostalgia there, but Talonflame, um, even though it was Generation 6, there's a fair few Pokemon before it, but um, a really, really awesome sort of um, starter bird Pokemon, so really cool. Um, Vivion, so this is one of the starter bug Pokemon, which you can evolve at like, you know, level 10, you know, really easy in the sort of the first forest um, opening in the game. But what was really unique to Vivion is uh, sort of the whole sort of uh, appeal of Pokemon X and Y. It was actually the first game to re release worldwide on the exact same day. Uh, Pokemon before this point had never had a worldwide release on the same day. And this was especially cool because I remember as a kid waiting like three months, not even after America, but after... Sorry, not after Japan, but after America. And just seeing like the English version out there on the internet, people playing it, people talking about it on forums and that. It's just like, it killed me. Three months was like literally a term at school. Do you understand how long that was? <laughs> it's just nuts. 
Um, so it's cool that it got a worldwide release, but sort of with their emphasis on the on the uh, just the worldwide sort of um, global audience of Pokemon for the very first time in the series, uh, Vivian it actually had different patterns depending on where you caught and evolved. Um, that certain Pokemon. So there was different flags on, for its patterns throughout the world. It was really cool. So I'm going to click on it here and I'm going to go and sort of go over some of the patterns here. So there's a meadow pattern, there's a polar pattern, and they're all sort of based off different parts of the world. And there was even like exclusive patterns you could only get through certain events. So there was a Pokeball pattern and a fancy pattern. But um, I'm not sure exactly how you got those, but I remember people tracking them down, especially when Pokemon Home came out only like a year ago. People were like, all right, I need these Pokemon for my collection. So that was just a really cool Pokemon. And, and, you know, while it's not necessarily great for competitive or even going through the main game, I think it was just a really cool addition for collectors because, you know, we had forms before this, whether it's male, female, you know, Rotom forms, how it can change into different things and all that. But this was like a true collection piece where it's like, have you got all the Vivian forms? Because you can only get them through trading. So it was like quite a thing. Okay, so like for Bebe, um, it's basically like, I don't even know what it is. It's like this little fairy who just catches um, a ride on um, like floating flowers. <laughs> it evolves into Floette, who's just a bigger version of that. And uh, Florigus, who is like this big flower. But it's only a fairy type. I thought it would be like a grass fairy, but apparently not. I went through my first playthrough of the games with uh, uh, Florigus. And, you know, I really haven't thought about it ever since. But it was a, a really great um, Pokemon to go through with. All right. So uh, this is one of my definitely one of my favorites. So Skidoo, who evolves into Go-Goat, who's a pure grass type. It's just a goat. It's got like a grass mane. I thought it was awesome. In the games, you're actually able to ride a certain Pokemon and Go-Goat is one of those. And it's um, really, really cool. Um, Pancham, Pangoro, one of my favorite Pokemon as well. Um, a fighting dark type, a big angry panda who's just going to punch you in the head. Just really awesome. Ooh, one of the most popular Pokemon in the whole series hasn't gone away. So we've got Hone Edge who evolves into uh, Dewblade, who evolves into Aegislash. And Aegislash is a really unique Pokemon as well. It actually has two different forms. For those that don't know who Aegislash is, it's basically like a sword and shield um, who is sort of occupied by a ghost. Um, and that ghost can sort of like, you know, control the blade and the shield. And because of that, it actually has two different stances. So it has... Um, has a like a defense form and an attack form. So when the defense form kicks in, um, which is actually called the stance form, I believe, um, it has a lot more defense. And when um, you're in attack mode, you uh, do have a lot more attack. And um, it, it kind of plays into a bit of strategy there because like you've got to like make sure that uh, you know you're in defense mode when a Pokemon's attacking. And when when you want to attack, you want to obviously get the most firepower as possible. So. Um, pretty cool. I never actually went through the game with an Aegis Slash to start off with, but I think it's easily one of the uh, top favorite Pokemon from Generation uh, 6. So we keep going down the list here. There's not like a... Ooh, Tarantulum. Um, this was a really cool... So this is one of the fossil Pokemon. So Tyrant, who you get from a fossil, um, can evolve into uh, Tarantulum who is just this big T-Rex. And before this, we didn't really have a T-Rex Pokemon. We had like Tyranitar and stuff, but they weren't really a T-Rex. You know, they had like the small, they had like a pretty small head and stuff. They were based off, Tyranitar was like more like Godzilla, whereas uh, Tarantulum is actually like a T-Rex Pokemon. So it's really cool. It's got an ability called Strongjaw and it can also have Rockhead. 
Um, and I went through the game, and this was just an absolutely fantastic Pokemon to have. It has a really bad defense, but its attack is really quite strong. So definitely um, one of my favorite Pokemon from these games. Oh, Halucha as well. I'm just like remembering these Pokemon. I haven't um, interacted with them since I probably played through the games. But Halucha, who is uh, <laughs> just like a wrestling bird based off like, um, I guess, the, the more Mexican uh, culture. And it's a, a fighting flying type. And it actually has a move that um, is both fighting and flying at the same time as well, which is really unique. I can't remember the name of the move off the top of my head. Was it was it Flying Press or something? Might have been Flying Press. Not sure. Don't quote me on it. I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to keep moving on. But that was a really cool Pokemon. Um, Clef Key. Clef Key is like the joke of this generation. It's basically this... Uh, it's basically these keys. <laughs> It's just a pair of keys with like on the keyring, it's got this face and it just hot, it just like floats around. But um, it's actually kind of cool looking into the law of Clef Key. So it's a steel fairy type and it's basically like a pair of keys to like a mansion or a castle and it's been sort of occupied by this fairy Pokemon. So I thought it was actually pretty cool how it's this Pokemon that actually, um, you know, goes around stealing keys and um, it's basically like the more fairy tale kind of, you know, side of... Um, you know, castles and all of that. So I thought that was actually pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we've got Phantop and uh, Trevorant, who are um, ghost grass types. So Trevorant is this tree who's been occupied by ghosts, and it's just, you know, pretty scary looking. And uh, then we've got the legendary Pokemon, who I'll talk about a bit later. But this was interesting too, because this was... They only introduced three... Oh, sorry. They introduced three legendary Pokemon and just one mythical Pokemon, which was... um. Actually pretty different for the series. All right. So that's it. We touched on the Pokemon a bit there, but I'll be, I can't miss Mega Evolution. Mega Evolution was basically the first time that they actually added a brand new method of evolution, evolving past the third stage of a Pokemon's evolution chain to actually evolve into a stronger version of that Pokemon. And this was a this was easily a fan favorite in Pokemon history. People loved it. Just the fact that uh, Pokemon could change their form, look cooler, and you could have Pokemon from Generation One, which were redesigned to look, you know, different, stronger, in some cases cooler. Uh, but personally, for me, there was some of my favorite Pokemon that just looked stupid. <laughs> Heracross comes to mind. It just looks dumb. Um, I, I didn't like it at all. But like, for example, like the Kanto starters getting um, mega forms being Charizard, Venusaur and Blastoise is really cool. Blastoise getting that huge back cannon as well as arm cannons. Uh, Charizard actually getting two mega evolutions being the X and Y form. Um, and uh, Mega Charizard X, for example, it's completely black. It's got bl- uh, blue flames. Looks awesome. But um, I don't know. It kind of took away the sort of magic and lust from the uh, shiny um, Charizard. But I don't know. That's kind of a... Not really a issue, really. <laughs> but like, for example, um, uh, Alakazam, Gengar, uh, Kangaskhan, Pinsir, Gyarados, Aerodactyl, Mewtwo got two forms. Ariados, uh, Scizor, Heracross, Houndoom, Tyranitar, Blaziken, Gardevoir, uh, Morwile, Agron, Metacham, um, Manetric, Banette, uh, Absol, Latios, Latias. Some of these were introduced in the... Um, uh, Generation 3 Hoenn remakes as well. So they weren't all in this game. Um, Garchomp, Lucario, and Abomasnow all got Mega Evolutions. And it's something that they got got rid of after Generation 6. And, you know, personally for me, I loved that they sort of had um, a new spin on old Pokemon. I thought that was really cool. But 
sort of when it came down to it, every single team had to revolve around one of these Pokemon. And I think there was only like 50 so Mega Evolutions introduced um, in Generation 8. So it kind of like restricted your teams a bit. You only had so many options of like the main Mega Evolution Pokemon, then the rest could be whatever. And unlike Dynamax that got introduced in um, Pokemon Sword and Shield in Generation 8, a couple of generations after, um, you know, you don't need, you didn't need an item for that. Any Pokemon could be like, you could be at the tip of a hat. You'd be like, all right, this is what's happening. This is what my opponent's doing. I'm going to uh, Dynamax this Pokemon to counter that. But um, for this, for example, you need an item. You need a Mega Stone on that Pokemon you plan to Mega Evolve. So if you know you're going to Mega Evolve Charizard, you know you already have a Mega Stone on it. So leftovers or an Eviolite or like whatever item you're sort of thinking could replace that if you might not want to use it, you can't. So um, you've got to go in knowing what Mega Evolution you're going to use. Unless you want to put a Mega Stone on multiple Pokemon, but you're risking the sort of... Um, fact there that you don't have the items to um to, to waste there so anyway mega evolutions really cool i think it's um it'll be awesome if it ever does come back but personally for me the sort of gimmicks they've done since with dynamax that's a preference for me but i know a lot of people out there be like drew you're completely bonkers mate mega evolution was awesome and i'm not saying that it's not mega evolution was really cool so let's talk about the callus region itself so I'm reading this from Bulbapedia. They are absolutely fantastic resource for the Pokemon world in general. You can absolutely get absolutely everything on that site. So Kalos is a region of the Pokemon world. It is the setting of Pokemon X and Pokemon Y. It was the sixth core series region to be introduced. The Kalos region is shaped like a five-pointed star, with one of the biggest cities being Luminized City in the north-central part of the region. It features a vast ne- ne- uh, network of rivers and waterways snaking through much of its landscape, cities, and towns. Northeast of uh, Luminous City lies a mountain range where more frigid temperatures exist, extending down to the plains below. Western, Western Kalos uh, features a vast ocean where the uh, shore side of City Shallow City lies in the middle of a cove. So... This um, region is based off of France. So this is the second Pokemon region in the series to be based off of somewhere that isn't uh, isn't Japan. And that really does come over culturally in the Kalos region. It's a very it's a place that's very high on fashion. It's a place that's very high on food and, you know, just all that type of thing that you would expect if you went to Paris or something like that. Um, even to the point where Lumino City, the central part of that town, is actually... Um, it's called the Prism Tower, I believe, just off off of memory, and uh, it's very much based off the Eiffel Tower in uh, Paris, which um, is really cool. And uh, because of this, like this was the first Pokemon game where we could customize our character as well. In previous Pokemon games, the Pokemon game or the generation before this, Pokemon uh, Black and White, you know, we still got the small sort of chibi um, pixel art and all that, so we can't customize our characters in that because at the end of the day, it didn't really make that much difference in those um, small sprite-based games on DS. But now on 3DS, where it's blown up, our character has a bigger head, and you know, you can see a bit more of its legs and arms and stuff. We're actually able to give it, um, you know, t-shirts, pants, shoes, gloves, glasses, hats. And it was just a really, really awesome thing to be able to do in these games. It was a lot of fun to make the character yours. Um, you could even go uh, to the extent of putting on makeup and haircuts and all that. And um, in Luminous City, there was absolutely no uh, 
no uh, lack of uh, finding those places because every business seemed to be like, eat something, do your hair, and uh, maybe prune your furfu, which is like the the poodle Pokemon <laughs> of the region. So we've got some uh, history here, just as in dot points, just to go through. And um, we'll sort of touch on this as we go through the episode a lot more as well. So uh, 3,000 years prior to the events of Pokemon X and Y, the Kalos War occurred. The ultimate weapon was created underneath Geosenge Town and AZ was given eternal life. So we'll touch on all that a lot more as we go along. Uh, 800 years ago uh, prior to the events of Pokemon X and Y, Exernius and Avelto... Sorry... Exonius released a Volto absorbed life energy throughout the Kalos region upon upon reaching the life of its life cycle. Afterward, it withdrew hibernation deep within a forest and range. Okay, so it's doing like it just threw me off because it's got like differences between Pokemon X and Y there. And uh, three hundred years prior to the events of Pokemon X and Y. Uh, P- Perfume Palace was built. Okay, I can't even remember what Perfume Palace was to be to be honest, but um, yeah. So yeah, that's a, a, I guess a little bit of um, history for the, um, the region there, but we've got a bit of trivia before we jump into some things as well. This is just some interesting facts for the Kalos region and how it fits into um, the Pokemon world itself. So the English and Japanese names of the cities and towns in Kalos are derived from various ingredients used in fragrances. Likewise, the names in the European versions are derived from various terminologies related to art. Uh, the Kalos is Kalos is the only region which the gym leaders hand out TMs containing moves from older generations of games that they were introduced in. All gym leaders and Elite Four members use teams consisting entirely of Pokemon of Pokemon of the type they use. Uh, the routes have alternate names. Um, Kalos Kalos is also the only core series region that does not have a notable ghost type expert, any vending machines, cities, towns, or landmarks with human population on an island. Uh, The Kalos region has the largest national Pokedex. Kalos appears in fewer core series games of all regions, only with two, which were Pokemon X and Y. And I remember this at the time was like really... Really, like, I guess especially now, it's pretty sad because I feel like the Kalos region was had a lot to offer. The characters were pretty good for the most part, and the region was just had so much character because of the you know the the country that it was based off, and I think it had a lot to give. But being it was like Game Freak's first three D Pokemon game, there was a lot to work out. There was a lot to do, and getting the game out for a worldwide release instead of staggering it out like they usually did. There was a lot to do. There was a lot of the big deadline to meet at the end of the day to get these games out. So, um, you know, it kind of like missed a lot of stuff, especially for the post game. The post game kind of didn't really exist. And uh, one of the legendary Pokemon just didn't get any limelight or any story, um, except for in the next generation where they kind of shoehorned it in. So it definitely could have used maybe a sequel set of games or a third version to really flesh out what the Kalos region was. So um, in that respect, it kind of was disappointing that we didn't get any more games with the Kalos region in it, but that's that's how it goes. Um, Kalos has the largest population of any region with 1,288 inhabitants living in cities, towns, and other areas. And that's interesting as well because I never really thought about what the population of like a, a region was 
you know, 1,288, that's nothing. That's like a, that's a small town in Australia, let alone America or, you know, Europe and France, what these regions are based off. So maybe there's just not that many people in the Pokemon world. I'm not sure, but that is an extremely like small amount of people in the whole region. So it, maybe it just goes to show like how small these regions in the Pokemon world are. Like, you know, we think about them as like countries, that's how we sort of think about them as we go from game to game. We're going to different countries, different lands, but they could honestly just be like a couple of towns in the real world. It's kind of wacky to think about. All right, guys. So let's jump into the music and the music is absolutely fantastic. I am really excited to go through some of this stuff. So this is the opening theme for Pokemon X and Y. And it's interesting too because they actually went back to some of the uh, older music, like the title screen in the opening movie. It's actually, it actually sounds like like it did in Pokemon Red and Blue. So they really are going for the nostalgia sort of hit, especially after they went so different with Pokemon Black and White. So this is the, uh, the Kalos region theme. This is where we're being introduced to the professor of the Pokemon world. And uh, that professor is Professor Sycamore. And Professor Sycamore, he specializes in Mega Evolution. And, uh, you know, someone's got to specialize in Mega Evolution and, you know, no one else is because it, it kind of disappeared. So, Professor Sycamore, I've got a question for you, mate. Where did Mega Evolution go? Why did you put so much emphasis on it in Generation 6? And uh, will we ever see it again? Maybe in Diamond and Pearl remakes because that makes sense. You can, put, you can still keep that in that universe, I guess. All right. Oh yes, so this is when the uh, this is the opening cutscene for the games, and there's a, a fletchling coming through the window. It lands on you. All right, Whoop. all right. So let's start our journey. And the first town that we actually live in is a, a place called Vanil uh, <laughs> Beneville Town. <laughs> And Venneville Town is blooming buds covered in a mountain dew um, and there's hope for a future in this small town. And it's a, it's actually a little bit different to, I guess, your typical Pokemon opening area. There's actually like, it's not just like grass and that. There's actually like concrete and that. So that it looks like a bit more of a sort of established town. And uh, according to this uh, bit of an article here, the population is 10, so 10 people live in this town. Does that even count as a town? Like, seriously? Does that count as a town? Like, we came from Pokemon Black and White where there's literally hundreds of people going back and forth to work and stuff in the major town there. So, population of 10. Is that just, like, a campground? <laughs> so, we move on to Route 1. And Route 1 where we run into our very first Pokemon, which we'll get to a little bit later. And very playful, very excited. Let's start our Pokemon journey as we move on to the next town. Oh, and here we are. We're at Aquacord Town. And Aquacord Town is a town that naturally sprang as people flocked to this pristine riverside. And I can't believe how close these towns are. Like, Route 1 basically doesn't exist from what I can remember playing these games. And this is where we run into a lot of our rivals and friends as we go throughout this game. 
And the rivals and friends, they got like a they got a bad rap because I feel like they're just like, you know, sort of annoying, you know what I mean? <laughs> they just like keep on popping up. There's so many of them. There's not just like the one rival or the one rival and the friend. There's like just they're all just friends. They're all friendly and uh, yeah, they don't give you that much of a hard time. So let's go to the friends theme as we introduce some of the friends. So we've got Tino, and uh, Tino appears in Pokemon X and Y as a friend of the player, uh, to whom he gives the starter Pokemon sent through him by Professor Sycamore. He is a dancer, and his goal is to create a dance scene with Pokemon, and wants to find Pokemon with amazing moves, such as the Pokemon in his party knows dance moves, such as Sword Dance and Pedal Dance. So, I don't know. To be honest, guys, uh, Tino, he was always kind of the, the annoying one. When you got to battle him, it's just like, you're such a pushover, man. Like, if you want to dance, dance. I love that. I think that's a great sort of a character trait. But don't try to battle me. I'm going to roll you, man. I'm going to absolutely roll you. Don't try. Uh, next friend in the games, we have Shauna. And uh, Shauna is an energetic and, cu- and curious about her friend's progress in their travels. Though she lacks a, a clear goal herself, she enjoys solving puzzles and is friend of uh, Clement and uh, Boney. Um, after the player becomes the champion, she will trade the player an unevolved form of, this, of her starter Pokemon in exchange for any Pokemon own, owned by the player. So that's actually a pretty cool thing. So um, you actually got access to uh, a second poke starter Pokemon after you beat the Elite Four. And I remember that being a big surprise. Um, so, you know, Shauna has a bit of respect there for me because that's the only sort of game in the series where it's like, okay, um, the Pokemon that uh, you didn't get, here you go. You don't have to trade for it. You don't have, don't have to have a friend. Um, just give me any of your crap from your PC and they'll give it to you, which is pretty cool. So I just got to be reminded. Uh, okay, so she gives you the one you're super effective against. Okay, much like um yeah. So yeah, she'll choose the the starter Pokemon that is um yeah weak to yours, which was which was useful. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> uh, I've got the dogs playing out, so that's a little bit annoying. Sorry about that. All right, so let's uh, keep going with the friends here because we've got a lot. We got a lot of friends apparently, but I think it's just one more. Uh, so we've got, we got a couple more actually. <laughs> so we got uh, Trevor, who is one of the three characters who lives closest by uh, 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 Venable, Venable Town. Um, he is incredibly curious about the world and is a fantastic student. He gives you the Pokedex and is eager to compare and compete with everyone. So he is the first. Sorry, uh, with everyone so that he finishes his first. Okay. So you got like a rival for like every single aspect of the games. You got one for battling, you got one for Pokedex, you got one for dancing, <laughs> you got one who's just nice. Like, you got like, you got a reason for every single Pokemon in this uh, <laughs> in this game. But of course, the, the main rival is uh, the gender of a player character that you did not pick. So that being Callum or Serena. And Callum and Serena are your next-door neighbors in the game, and their appearance is that of the opposite-gendered trainer to the one you select in the game. Throughout the game, they shall batter you in order to test your skills. They have a passion to become a powerful Pokemon trainer and sets out on a journey to accomplish that dream. But guess what? 
you're you being the player character, you crush their dreams. You crush their dreams so bad, and that is uh, that is unfortunate for them. But um, it's how it's got to be. It's how it's got to be. <laughs> oh dear. So whenever we have a battle with one of these guys, this is the uh, the battle music. And this is the first battle theme we're going into the games with. absolutely love that theme and it's not even the uh it's not even close to my favorite one it's uh this game has absolutely amazing music and i think the composer absolutely went to town junichi misuda and the team over there who put this music together really did harness sort of the new power of the 3ds and while we look back at the 3ds in 2021 um you know it's being pretty weak like you know it's not even a gamecube uh in power but you can really hear the sort of um, changes they made going from the DS to the uh, the 3DS. It sounds like any console game, especially when you've downloaded the uh, the Super Music Collection, as we're listening to now, where they've sort of really um, made it sound awesome on uh, good headphones. So let's move along, and we we'll go to Route Two, and we're on a nice little friendly walk here. Until we get to Chanteloon Forest, and here we get we can catch a lot of cool Pokemon. So the gentle light flittering through these sun-dapped forests makes it a popular spot for nature walks, and you can see why. This is a if this music is playing in the background while I'm going on a walk, I'd quite like it as well. So there's a lot of cool Pokemon you'll get in here, especially uh, the newer ones. Whether you're after a Bunnelby or a Fletchling, you'll be able to catch one here. And uh, let's jump to the wild Pokemon battle music because, man, this isn't my favorite one either, but it's still really good. So let's have a listen.
absolutely awesome. I love I love that battle theme, and I think it, it takes the cake from a lot of other generations for me. Uh, just thinking back to the episode I've done on Generation 4 and 5, they had great music, but I just like the big band feel of that they're actually able to put through now with the 3DS is unreal. And I don't know, it's got to be one of my favourite soundtracks in the whole series, even if it is one of the games where I... You know, I haven't played in a long time. It's just like, maybe it's because of nostalgia. Maybe because of uh, the built-up nostalgia from not playing the games in a long time actually uh, helped that. But I don't know. But the battle the battle music is awesome. So anyway, we win, we win that battle. Congratulations. Well done. Yes, congratulations to you. You absolutely killed that Fletchling, and it's just there in a pile on the ground. It's barely moving. It might be dead. It might not just be fainted. You might have actually killed that Pokemon. That Bunnel Bee is probably actually definitely dead. But you won the battle, so well done. Well done. All right, so let's move into a, a, a trainer battle. And before we get to the trainer battle theme, let's go through a lot of the uh, the encounter music. So first of all, we encounter a youngster. And I haven't listened to this yet, so I'm going to see if there's actually any bangers in the encounter music because uh, I think it was a Pokemon... I think it's Generation 3, which I really liked a lot of the uh, encounter music. Alright, so there's the youngster. What about the lass? These lasses can be quite cheeky. No, do Alright, now let's go to the poker fan. Oh, this is cash. This is like me sitting on the couch. <laughs> this is my theme. This is my theme song. Yep, that's my theme song, the poker fan. I'm a pretty big poker fan, so that does make sense. So this is the tourist. A lot of tourists uh, getting around the, the Kalos region. A lot of great sights to see. They also love their Pokemon battles, so good on them. Alright, so let's listen to the butler. Oh, yes. I like that little ring of the bell at the start. <laughs> That's actually a cool little touch when you actually really listen to it. <laughs> just remember this. I was thinking about this butler getting around like... Oh, I missed it. Oh, well. That's pretty cool. All right, so let's move on to the maid. Nice little cash theme. I wonder if I could um, get this theme sort of slid into my wedding somehow. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. It's like, you know, this isn't Pokemon music. This is just a bit of uh, smooth jazz as we're sitting around having a couple of beers. All right, so let's move on to the Honeymooners theme. Okay, so I don't know how I about this one. The next the next trainer class is called a, f a fairy sewed girl? What's this gonna sound like? I don't know what a fairy sewed girl is. Like okay, I gotta look that up now. <laughs> no, I won't. Alright, so let's move on to the black belt. 
That's pretty cool. I like this. I like this a lot. So this is the hiker. And the hiker... The hiker sounds the same every single generation. Let's be honest. I don't think it's changed much at all. So like, yes, I'm on top of this mountain. I'm having a good time. Yes, my G dude. My golem. My graveler. Yes. Might even get out of nose pass. That'll surprise you. Alright, let's move on to the twins. Yep, sounds like twins. Let's move on to the roller skater. And now think about it, the roller skater is actually a brand new trainer class introduced because you didn't have a bike in these games, you actually had roller skates. And how these worked is you just, you know, ran on foot normally if you used the D-pad on the 3DS. But if you use the uh, the circle pad um, to move around in the overworld, it actually automatically got out your roller blades and you could get around a lot quicker like that. So that was a really actually cool um, introduction in these games. We actually never come back. Um, but it was a cool idea, I reckon, to like, you know, move around the world differently depending on if you're using a D-pad or uh, um, the circle pad. So this is the Ace Trainer. Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, the poker fan definitely takes me because that's that, that that is now my theme as I move through life. I think that is what I'm going to think about when I'm uh, doing my thing. <laughs> so let's move on to a battle um, in the games with a trainer, and I love this so much. Let's get into it. Oh yeah. I listen to this theme so much, especially when I'm playing Super Smash Brothers, uh, whether it's on the Wii U. Oh, was it? It wasn't on the Wii U version. No, no, it was. It was a Luminous City uh, stage on the Wii U version and now with Smash Ultimate on Switch. Um, whenever I'm playing that stage, I just set it to this theme at 100%. I love this battle music so much, and I think it, it would have to be my second favourite in the whole series right after Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire just holds such a special place for me but I think just from just an absolute rip snorter version of the battle theme this one I can't go past it it's so good 
And um, hearing like covers of it from like Family Jewels and uh, Glitch X City and stuff, it is one of the best themes in the whole Pokemon series. And but even though I say that, it might be tied with another battle theme as we're going to go throughout this episode. But some of the best music in the whole series, man. And this is why I love Pokemon music. It's I don't know if it's just nostalgia or what it, what it is for me, but as soon as I hear it, it just fills me with energy and passion, and I love it so much. So, all right, we move on through, through uh, from the trainer. The first trainer we're going to verse. It's going to be really easy, so, you know, not not too much of our backs there. Congratulations. For one, you've got some experience points. They've given you some money. And, uh, you know, when when you get money in the Pokemon games, I can't, I can't um, sort of think about how awkward that exchange would be. Is it literally just like, all right, man, I won, you know, pay up. And the guy's like, okay. And he gets out his wallet. He's just like going through his cards, his receipts and that. Like, I don't have that much. It's a hundred bucks enough. I, like, oh, I don't know, man. I beat you pretty bad. And I um, actually had an amulet coin on. So you got to double that. <laughs> it's like, for fuck's sake. So then he's got to go to his ATM and get it out there. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big ordeal. It's a big ordeal. Because I, I never carry cash. So whether everyone gets around just with like their, um, the poker nav or whatever, you just like tap it and do a nice AG transaction there. But 2013, I don't know if uh, it was all that seamless. But anyway, I'm sort of rambling about literally nothing here. So sorry about that. So let's move on to the next city. And as a Chanteloon Town City. Chanteloon City. don't know why uh, cities are so hard for me to pronounce. Maybe because they're based off of fragrances or whatever. But um, so this town, many beginning trainers gather in this friendly city to start a Pokemon journey. And this is uh, one of the first gyms we'll uh, verse as well, which we'll touch on a little bit later. And, you know, being one of the first uh, towns, we get introduced to the, the Pokemon Center, uh, clothing, all that type of thing uh, that is uh, brand new to these games. So good fun there. And uh, I actually don't remember what the Pokemon Center music sounds like. I think from there on, they just sounded the exact same, but let's have a listen to it anyway. Yeah, very same theme. It's only Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire that seem to have changed it. It's got a lot more of a like an acoustic feel. I like it very much. Let's get our Pokemon healed. So this is changing to basic clothes. That's a very epic changing in the clothes. This is changing the clothes for the girl. I really want it to be like, all right, I'm going to change my clothes. <laughs> Just be like a... All right, so let's, uh, let's go and take on a Pokemon gym. And the Pokemon gyms in this game are very much like every other generation. You've got to take down the eight gym leaders of the Kalos region in order to get to the Pokemon League to verse the Elite Four, defeat the champion, and become the champion of the Pokemon universe. Take down everyone. Take down the bad team. Have the strongest Pokemon in the world. Take over the universe. Be the best. No, not quite. You know, you got all the badges. You've beaten this uh, population of uh, 1,200 people. Well done. <laughs> it makes it not... There's eight whole gym leaders for a region with 1,200 people. Oh, this, that, that makes that even more mind-blowing the more I sort of think about that. So, the very first gym leader is uh, Violeta, and she will give you the bug badge, 
obviously specializes in bug type Pokemon as well. We got Grant, who specializes in rock type Pokemon. We'll give you the Cliff Badge. Or we got Coroner, who specializes in fighting type Pokemon, and she will give you the Rumble Badge. We got uh, R- Ramos, <laughs> who specializes in grass type Pokemon, who'll give you the Plant Badge. We got uh, Slamont, who specializes in electric Pokemon, and will give you <laughs> the Voltage Badge. We got uh, Verena, and she specializes in fairy-type Pokemon. She gives you the fairy badge. There you go. Actually, speaking of, like, some of these names, like the Voltage badge, for example, was Voltage honestly not taken after six words for electricity? And Bug? Honestly, Bug? I guess that was only used once in Generation 2, wasn't it? There wasn't any Bug badges since. Or Bug Gym Leaders, anyway. Um, We got Olympia, who specializes in psychic Pokemon. She gives you the psychic badge. And we've got Wolfric, who specializes in ice-type Pokemon. It gives you the Iceberg Badge. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty coincidental, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, so we, uh, yeah, we go through the, uh, the gym challenges that they give us um, with the sort of 3D art style and that. The sort of challenges are, a lot, are able to look a lot more elaborate, kind of how they're going with Pokemon X and no, with Pokemon Black and White, but now they are in 3D and look really nice. So without further ado, let's jump into the uh, the gym leader battle music. Just sounds like there's a DJ there just like absolutely hammering out. So that's the uh, gym leader theme. It's not my uh, favorite battle theme in the whole game, but it's still a really good one. Um, 
I don't know. It's sort of like it's like a good beat. It gets you into it, but it's not like a, it's not like all all like cards are on the table. It's time to actually hammer down and really go for it. But still, man, really a sort of nice battle theme. All right, so let's move on to Route Four where we will continue on to Lumino City to eventually catch up with the Professor. Keep in mind, we have not met Professor Sycamore yet, which was actually a nice change, not having the Professor right in our face straight away. So we go through the uh, we go through Route 4, we go through the gate, and we get to Lumino City. And this is by far the biggest city in the Pokemon world so far that we've been to. Um, being the first 3D game, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. <laughs> But uh, Lumino City is a dazzling uh, metropolis of art and uh, an art and archifice um, located in the heart of the Kalos region. And there's a lot to do in the Kalos region. Not in the Kalos region, the uh, Lumino City. And uh, what do we have here? So I'm just going to all the stuff in there. So... Alright, so you got like the big shopping center, you got a Pokemon center, you got a, a Pokeball shop, which I thought was really cool. Um, and it's just like so many like little nooks and crannies to go down go down and explore. Like it actually will take you like half an hour, an hour to like fully explore and um, the first time you go through the game you probably will miss something, but Honestly, my favorite place in the whole game would be the Pokeball shop because I thought it was just really cool. You could go and buy these rare Pokeballs without actually having to um, do a lot of the, a lot of the hard work. Because you could buy like a uh, Premier Balls, you could buy Luxury Balls, and like in Generation Three, I remember there was only one Luxury Ball in the whole game. And Premier Balls you get for buying ten Pokeballs, and you get a free one basically chucked in. Man, Premier Balls personally for me are my favorite, just being a nice sleek white Pokeball with like that red sort of line through the middle. I thought it looks really nice. So I always like stocking up in Premier Balls, Luxury Balls. Um, quick Balls were really useful. Always are useful. Repeat Balls. Um, so just a really, really useful sort of uh, use of that there. But then we come across uh, Sycamore's Lab. And uh, as we said before, Professor Sycamore is the uh, sort of specialist in Pokemon Mega Revolution. And to help us sort of figure out Mega Revolution, he gives us access to uh, a starter Pokemon from the Kanto region. And uh, we're all familiar with these Pokemon, Charmander, Squirtle, Bulbasaur, you know, all your, you know, standard things. But it was um, really cool sort of for these games being like, all right, you get a second starter Pokemon. You get to choose no, no matter what you originally chose. And you also get the Mega Stone to uh, utilize its Mega Revolution when it fully evolves. So... Yeah, that's pretty much uh, Sycamore's whole thing. He's got plenty of uh, story beats throughout the the whole um, the whole thing, but um, yeah, yeah, Sycamore's cool. He's a, he's a cool character. He's a you know he's a French man. He's got that sort of uh, comb over, sort of uh, nice looking hairstyle going on. You know, he's a, he's a cool dude. He's a cool dude. That's uh, that's what I got to say about Sycamore. It's been a while since I saw him. I haven't been to the Kalos region in a long time. Uh, but what is Sycamore's theme? We've got Sycamore's theme here. Remind me. Oh, yes. Very French. Very French. Alright, so let's move on to Camphria Town. 
yes, I remember this music. <laughs> so, uh, this ancient town was once famous for the long uh, neglected manor home of a noble family. There you go. So, also in this town is a, a hotel. So, on the second floor of the Hotel Cabernet, a group of travellers will rotate in and out of the rooms. Any travellers not at the Hotel Cabernet on on one day may be found at the hotel at the hotels in other towns. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. So like you could go to different hotels in different towns and um, they sort of rotate throughout the region, which actually was pretty cool. And we also have a, a castle that's there. So uh, a Shab on Etu. Shabanutu Castle is a former manor that used to belong to a noble family who had the habit of giving a lot of their possessions away, leaving the building very barren and empty. Uh, the player and Shauna vi- uh, first visit the castle, ask its owner about Mega Evolution, but are unable to get any information as the owner had no idea what Mega, Ev- Mega Evolution even is. And um, if you remember, so this is... This is uh, the castle that I'm um, gonna go to with Shauna, and you have that awkward moment where it's kind of like, it's almost them like confessing their love <laughs> while watching the fireworks. So, like, mm. you know, you can take that. You can take that out of context, but for goodness' sakes, everyone, this is a game that's rated G. I think, or it might be PG, but regardless, don't th- don't don't think dirty. Don't think dirty. I see that there's a there's a song here together with Shauna. Oh, so so beautiful. <laughs> I think the uh, the music just makes it more awkward. This is another song I need to sneak into my wedding. As my partner's walking down the aisle. No, maybe not. So let's move on to Route 8. And you can tell we're getting deeper into our adventure. The music is getting a little bit more epic. And this is where we come across a glittering cave. In glittering cave, uh, you lose all sense of direction as you wander through this cave, uh, where luminous moss gro- uh, glows emerald green. And in here, you can actually catch a brand new Pokemon called uh, Carbink. Um, it was cool. It's basically like this fairy rock type who's um, based off of the glittering stones in the glittering cave. So that was pretty cool. Personally, for me, I don't know how I feel about caves, so let's get out of here. So let's move on to Slylage City, and this is a city nestled between the cliffs and the sea, overlooked by a steep bicycle race course. And uh, this is the town where you can uh, get your fossils uh, brought back to life. This is also where the second gym lies, being the rock-type gym leader. And um, it's just like a nice little town. Like you've you got to sort of work to get there. You got to get through the glittering cave and that. And there's some other areas too, which are actually fun to explore on sort of the the cliff um, facing the ocean and stuff. So it's a it's a cool little uh, place there. Oh, but 
must uh, get your bicycle around here. So let's listen to the bike music. Is it annoying? I can't remember it being annoying. Actually, what I said before about the rollerblades, I don't remember having a bike in this game. <laughs> Did I ever get the bike? Or was it that you just really don't need to bother getting a bike because... Well, obviously you do get a bike. Huh. I don't remember getting a bike because there was just no need to use it. Well, why get out the bike? Because it's slower. But you can just use the circle pad and you're on rollerblades anyway. Huh. There you go. There you go. Like I said, it's almost eight years ago I played these games. So I need to go back and play them. Alright, so let's move on to uh, Geosenge Town. And this is a town lined with mysterious stones and encircled by strange ruins of old. And uh, a lot of stuff here happens. This is where sort of the climax of the story does uh, end up happening. The Geosenge Town is, this, is secretly a place where the ultimate weapon lies. Um, so, yeah, this if you've played through this game, you know this is where sort of the climax happens, where you do end up sort of uh, going to catch the legendary Pokemon of the games and uh, sort of comes out of the town uh, from where the rocks are formed in the centre and it comes out like a big flower and uh, it's basically like this big laser beam which uh, tries to blow up the world, which, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a point of the games where it was a bit more of a, bit of a, bit more of a stretch to believe and um, say... Uh, you know, Team Rocket being bad or <laughs> Team Aqua or Magma being like, yeah, we're going to raise this. No, we're going to raise that. Okay. Do what you got to do. But yeah, this was, uh, this was a bit far-fetched. But we'll go into that when we talk about the evil team because the evil team, I don't know. Don't know the feel about them. They're a bit, they're a bit dumb. <laughs> they're a bit dumb. That's all, that's all I've got to uh, say about them until now. Uh, so then we move on to Shallow City. And the seaside home of the uh, Tower of Mastery, where the legend of mysterious stones lives on. Right, right. So I don't remember anything about some of these cities, honestly. But let's click on it. Let's uh, let's have a look. So this is a city located in the western portion of the Kalos region. It is the hometown of the gym leader and... Uh, Reflection Cave is to the south, the Tower of Mastery is to the north, and Route 12 is to the east. It's a moderately sized city and is a seaside location known for its amazing views. So, just the Tower of Mastery and the gym are sort of places of interest of this town. So, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Don't remember it much at all. <laughs> Tower of Mastery, what's the music for that? Try and remind me. Cool music. So this is the Tower of Mastery, and uh, the Tower of Mastery is a landmark in Kalos, is located in Shalara City. Um, the Tower of Mastery has a major role in understanding the concept of Mega Evolution. In it, the player learns about the history of Mega Evolution from uh, Coroner's uh, grandfather, uh, uh, Gherkin. Gherkin. <laughs> Yeah, Gherkin, that's his name. After this, the player fights against uh, their rival for the Mega... Oh, yes, for the Mega Ring, so they can use Mega Evolution. But it is only obtained once uh, Karina is defeated at the gym. After obtaining the Rumble Badge, Karina will be waiting atop the tower, where she'll give the player the Mega Ring. Then she challenges the player to a battle, which serves as the tutorial for Mega Evolution. The player is loaned one of... 
Corona's uh, Lucario's to lose against to use against Corona's and and her other Lucario on a one-on-one -on -one battle. Okay, so now I remember. So yeah, okay, this is pretty cool. So this is where you actually get access to Mega Evolution. Very cool. Because I remember like they just give you a Lucario and I'm like, cool. Like Lucario is like one of the strongest and rarest well, not rarest Pokemon, but a, a pretty rare Pokemon, especially in the Sinnoh region. But in these games, they're sort of, they're just giving you like, oh, here's a, here's a, I don't know, here's a Kanto starter. Who's, here's Lucario. Here's, here's this. It's like, all right, just giving it to us all. Just a, a mega evolution capable Pokemon right off the bat. <laughs> all right, so this is the battle of Corona. Oh yeah, look at that percussion. So it's actually pretty cool we came across that because that is like just a remixed version of the gym theme, which is actually, um, I just didn't know there was. I couldn't remember. That's cool. Yeah, I'm remembering a lot about this game as we go through it. So sorry about that if that's a little bit frustrating. But, you know, it has been a long time since I played these games and I think that's a lot of the fun is going through these soundtracks and sort of the information of locations and maybe even remembering it together unless you guys played it, you know, I don't know four years ago instead of eight years ago. <laughs> so let's move on to the, the surfing music. Very cool. Very cool. So let's move on to Cormarine City. And this is where we actually verse uh, the gym leader, Ramos. And uh, what else is in this city? So there's an, there's an incense shop. There's the Cor uh, Cormarine Gym. There's Ho Hotel Cormarine. There's the Seaside and Hillcrest Stations. And this monorail will take the player between Seaside and Hillcrest halves of the city. That's right. You've actually got to, like, take that, which was actually a little bit annoying. <laughs> There you go. So what's like the actual description for this town? So an exclusive resort area made popular thanks to clear skies and a mild atmosphere. 
So yeah, this is like a very much this is the touristy part of the the region where a lot of tourists come, and that's sort of uh, made a little bit obvious, I guess, with um, sort of the markets and the hotels and stuff that they do. But according to the population here, there's 49 people that live here. <laughs> 49 people. So there you go. So I've got the next song here. How about a song, Unwavering? What's this from? Oh, this one. Of course, this is like, <laughs> this is a meme. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. It's been so hard across my journey. I don't know how I could possibly go on. There's so much I gotta think about. Am I doing the best for my Pokemon? Am I raising them as strong as they can be? No. Should I just go home and quit it? Should I just become a plasterer? Maybe get a trade. Do something useful with my life. Instead of being a 10 year old running around the Kalos region just doing nothing. Maybe I could be a, a model. Maybe I could work on my fashion. Maybe I could do anything, but... I don't know. I just don't know. But... What I do know is I'm passionate about Pokemon. I will be the best that I can ever be. My little Fennekin, I love him so much. My Fennekin is my baby, it's my partner, and more, more <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, very sad music. It's very much a, very much a meme in the Pokemon meme world, for whatever that uh, that means to you. So let's move on to the Kalos power plant. Oh, and there's a, there's a buddy, there's a buddy dance some. Dance party in the, uh, the power plant. So, an environmentally uh, responsible power plant that generates solar power from space. So, you know, this isn't no Kanto or Hoenn power plant. This is a. These guys are thinking about what's going on in the world, which you know someone's got to. Someone's got to around here. Because it's certainly not, um, I don't know, Maxi or Archie or Giovanni. At least someone is. At least someone is. So let's move on to the evil team in the Kalos region. And that is none other than... Yep, you guessed it. So, Team Flare. And uh, I've got to be honest with you guys. Team Flare are easily like my least liked evil team in the whole Pokemon series. They're just... Their motive is just so unbelievable. <laughs> it's like they, they want to create a new world... While making money. That's their goals. Like, cool. Like, every other Pokemon team has had, like, a kind of realistic, somewhat goal to achieve. Whether it's, like, just doing what they believe is right for the planet. Whether it's create a new world, because why not? They're evil. They can do that. And there's powerful Pokemon in that region that can achieve that. But um, for, for Team Flare, it just kind of made no sense. So... Let's uh, let's 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 talk about them for a bit. So their goal is to create a beautiful and better world while making money, eliminating everyone who does not follow their standards. So sorry, what? So Team Flare appears in Pokemon X and Y. They they are first encountered encountered in Glittering Cave, where they attempt to steal fossils off a researcher working there, but are stopped by the player and Serena or Callum. This occurs uh, throughout. Uh, the researcher, without the researcher noticing. They then next appear in a scene in Route 10, examining 
examining a mysterious rock formation, the grunts defeated in Glittering Cave gives, gives the player a rematch. So, <sighs> it's just like, first of all, it's like, what? <laughs> they, they just, they want to make money while making a new world. It's like, okay, that's a... That's that's a two birds one stone kind of approach to what you're doing. Like everyone wants to make money, that's useful, but a new world. Can't you make a new world without money? And if you do that, is there any sort of necessary uh, <laughs> necessary reason? So I really don't remember much about Team Flair. I just remember just them being just kind of I'm like this. They're just a dumb team. They're just dumb. But I'm going to uh, sort of read through some of this, and maybe some of this might change my mind. I'm not sure. So there's, some, there's a trivia section here on Bulbapedia. So that's uh, I'm going to read through this, see if there's anything interesting there. I haven't read this before myself. So uh, many of Team Flair's targets share noticeable similarities with Team Rocket's targets. A cave where a regional fossil can be obtained. Yeah, did notice that when I just read that. A uh, Pokeball uh, producing facility where a Maskball can be obtained. Yes, true. Uh, Pokemon a burial ground uh, and the regional power plant. And, and a location where experiments involving uh, a- agitating a certain Pokemon is conducted. So that's with a bomb of snow in the frost cavern and a red Gyarados in the Lake of Rage. Yeah, so yeah, that's what Team Rocket did. Uh, the names of Team Flare's scientists are possibly a, re- a reference to solar flares, which are classified as A, B, C, M, or X, according to their peak flux range. Those are the names... Uh, scientist initials of each location of X and Y. Uh, according to a girl in the Sandra Cafe, it costs uh, 5 million pokey to join Team Flare. What a ripoff. Uh, team Flare is the only pre-generation six villainous team to not receive a 3DS theme based on them. Yeah, well, they don't deserve a... They, they honestly don't deserve a 3DS theme. Who wants to rep a Team Flare... <laughs> a Team Flare bloody 3DS theme? No one, that's who. Um, but th- let's go on to listen to some of the music uh, involving Team Flair because like a lot of the other soundtrack, it's actually really good. So this is where we sort of make the encounter where our trainer's eyes meet. Then we jump into a Pokemon battle. really good that really cool theme so i guess kind of keeping with the the team flair uh sort of theme of this part of the episode 
Let's uh, let's move on to the boss of Team Flair. Every team needs a big bad boss. So we got uh, Lysandra. Uh, no, Lysandra? Yeah. Not Lysandra. Lysandre. No. Uh, Lysand- yeah, I think it's Lysandra. Not Lysandra. I'm going to say Lysandra. I don't know. Um, so he is the boss of Team Flare. is uh, the primary antagonist of Pokemon X and Y. who seeks out the white most of the world population in order to return the planet to a beautiful, unspoiled state. He's also owner of uh, Lysandra Labs, the company that created the Holocaster. He is the only character in the game to have the trainer class Team Flare boss. Which makes sense because he's the only Team Flare boss. So in uh, Pokemon X and Y, the player meets Lysandra in uh, S- uh, Professor Sycamore's lab in uh, Limino City as seeing the poten- and sees the potential in the player. And then later in Cafe uh, Solitil, uh, where he is seen talking to Diantha about her acting career. And it's this point where you first meet them and uh, he's basically just standing there being like, yes, yes, from talking. And he's got like this big, mad red haircut. He looks angry. Like they use the exact same model from like from that part of the game to like the bit where actually like versing him. Um, well, not the exact same one, but pretty similar. It's pretty obvious that he's the bad guy. I don't think Game Freak sort of made the attempt to hide it at all. So, yep, he's the bad guy. He's uh, he's dressed like Team Flair for, already. Like you can tell. <laughs> The, uh, I don't know if it would have helped the story a bit more if they actually tried to um, change it a little bit, but it's, it's it's pretty funny. But yeah, he's sort of his motive, kind of like I don't know. It's like, oh, I'm sick of people's impact on the world. I'm going to uh, I'm going to blow it up and restore it to how it was. It's just like just a big terrorist, just a big terrorist. Don't know. I really don't have much to say about Team Flare. Like, I'm trying to, like, look into it, but there's just um, not all that much. So if you're a big Team Flare fan, like, you know, Team Flare are the most impact, uh, had the most impact on the main series of Pokemon games. Like, you know, I'd love to hear it. Let me know, at iDruby on Twitter, and uh, let us have it. Let us have it. But apart from that, I don't know. Not not the biggest fan. But one of the uh, more interesting characters of these games as well is a character called AZ. And, um, you know, they're doing like, with Generation 5, they had a mysterious character named N, just one letter. And they're kind of carrying on that trend as well with uh, these games, Pokemon X and Y, with a character called AZ. And uh, AZ is a mysterious man who appears in Pokemon X and Y. He's the former king of the Kalos region and the creator of the ultimate weapon. In Kalos, he has the appearance of a, of a homeless man and is said to be over... Uh, nine feet tall. So a little bit of history for this character because there's actually a fair bit to this um, this character here. So 3,000 years prior to the events of Pokemon X and Y, a war broke out between two countries. This long conflict was drawn out and many lives were lost. People treated Pokemon with special powers as mere tools in their conflict. So they gathered lots of Pokemon, including Pokemon with unique powers. In order to emerge victorious, the soldiers believed that they needed even more powerful Pokemon. AZ loved his Floet, which he had rece- received later um, received from his late mother, but it was forcefully taken from him by the soldiers and become just another sacrifice in the war. AZ received the body of his beloved Pokemon sometime later, 
and out of unspeakable grief, he built the ultimate weapon to restore it to life. He succeeded, but unable to overcome his desire, he turned the machine into a weapon with which he destroyed both sides of the conflict, ending the war. His flowette, uh, uh, distinguished with the fact with the fact that the machine was overpowered by the life energy of other Pokemon, left him. Oh, disgusted, sorry. Disgusted with the fact that the, uh, yeah, so, and it left him because it was disgust because he, how he used that power. As uh, revealed by documents kept in Lysandra's lab, AZ's younger brother had wished to claim Kalos out of his own greed. After AZ ended the war with the ultimate weapon, his brother realized the error of his ways and sought to make amends for his actions by burying the weapon in an attempt to prevent it from ever being used ever again. AZ's incredible height resulted resulted from his exposure to the ultimate weapon. So that's why he's so tall. Eight feet. That's a big boy. It's a very big boy. All right, so that's um, basically how the ultimate weapon was created and a bit more sort of... Um, background for the ultimate weapon which was what Lysander is trying to use to destroy the world because god forbid people can just enjoy them themselves god christ almighty uh, the ultimate, ultimate weapon was created by uh, az 3000 year prior to the events of pokemon x and y is located in geosenge town it features heavily in those games and is, is referenced in pokemon omega ruby and alpha sapphire as well the weapon has a similar shaped flower and appears to be made of crystalline material. The machine was powered by the life force of Pokemon who gave whose grave whose graves line line um, route uh, ten. This energy source was later used by the Devon Corporation and named Infinity Energy. Well, that's a bit dangerous. I didn't realize the Devon Corporation used it as well in the Holland region. That's pretty cool. So yeah, this is just like a just a big Big laser bomb, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and it's just like, it's quite, quite frightening, quite frightening. And um, they basically, Lysandra needs the, uh, the legendary Pokemon of the game, depending on what version you're playing, whether it's Exernius or Eveltal. Eveltal? Not sure how you pronounce it. I've always been like a bit weird about that name, but it's one of those, I believe, that um, they use to power the, uh, the machine. And you eventually go in, you catch that Pokemon, you take it from him. And uh, nothing you can do about it, mate. That uh, Exernius is mine, my friend. That Exernius is mine. <laughs> but we'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, the legendary Pokemon as I go on. But that is basically what the whole plot revolves around, stopping Team Flare. They want to make a nice world for, for themselves, for Pokemon. They want to get rid of humans to restore it to its pristine state. And I don't know, just good on them. It's getting a bit much. So I just want to blow up the world. We just came from, we came from generation four, you know, he wanted to make a new world. So fair enough. You know, more, more the world's a merrier, I guess, you know, you can't argue with that. Go to a different place and be, be it's God. I don't know. Do what you got to do. But just, just doing this was just no good team flair. You got some great music, my friends, but I don't know, man. Don't know what you're on about. So let's, let's move on. So let's move on to Livery City. Livery City so is an unearthly city created by those inspired by Mysterious and an ancient tree, uh, 1,500 years old. So there you go. There you go. So what, what else is in this town? 
So it sits at the base of an ancient tree, which now houses uh, the gym. And it has the Pokemon Fam Club, has a cafe, has the Move Tutor, which is always uh, a useful thing. So the Move Tutor will teach, uh, uh, sorry, Grass Pledge, Fire Pledge, Water Pledge to your starter Pokemon if your friendship is as high as it possibly can be. So pretty cool. So yeah, it's where the Psychic Gym Leader sort of makes her home as well. So pretty cool there. Uh, so let's move on to Route 15. Oh, here we go. It sounds like something in the Legend of Zelda game. It's pretty cool, man. Uh, like, the music's just getting more epic and epic as we go along. So let's move on to another town. So, uh, Demil, uh, Den, Den Demil town. Jesus. So this is a rural town where Pokemon and windmills work together to farm the land in a chilly latitude. The place of interest here is the Move Reminder and the Move Deleter's house. There's a Moo Moo Milk Cellar. And uh, there's a nice windmill there, obviously. <laughs> there's got to be some windmills if they're using windmills. But apart from that, not a whole lot. It's just like a... Is that, it's actually like... um, From what I can remember, it's just got nice sort of character to it, which a lot of the towns do in the Carlos region, I guess, based off of uh, you know what they are. So if you delete a move, this is a little jingle you hear. So let's move on to another city. So this is Anastar City. And some say that the, the uh, emigatic, uh, <laughs> an emigatic uh, device used on the sundial came from outer space. So obviously in this town, there's a big sundial, which is, um, I don't remember exactly what it was used for. So there's there's a cafe, there's a sundial. So let's, let's let's learn about the sundial. I um I can't remember exactly what the sundial was used for. So the sundial to the north of the city is used in the post game to upgrade the mega ring. This also allows the player to find mega stones hidden throughout Kalos. Every day when the game reaches 8 p.m., the rings on the sundial start to spin one by one as the sun shines through the hole in the crystal. Falling sprinkles from the sky also make it look like look like it's snowing both around the sundial and in the town itself. The sparkles stop after 10 minutes and the rings themselves stop spinning uh, one by one just after 9pm. In the post game when the player defeats uh, Sabrina or Callum in Colleg City, the player learns that uh, Professor Sigamore is waiting at the sundial with information on the mega ring. At the uh, sundial, Professor Sigamore tells the player that he has discovered a way to level up the mega ring. 
He tells the player to touch the sundial with the Mega Ring. After, do, after doing so, he reveals that the Mega Ring will now resonate with Mega Stones that are underground. He explains that you can only find those Mega Stones while the sundial was active between 8 and 9 p.m. This will not work any other time. Okay, cool. So yeah, I do vaguely remember that, but not so much. I don't. I had a look for like a lot of the the Mega Stones in the game, but not not like every single one. So also, <laughs> Old Man's House. So this is a this is a, a place of interest in the in the city. Could you imagine like a real um <laughs> a real city where it's just like oh this is a this is a place of interest. So I'm just going to read the old man's house. <laughs> in the house, uh, two spots to the north of the boutique, an old man can be found depressed because of, of, of the death of his wife. Jesus. Um, he will ask the player to land him any Pokemon level 5 or under to keep him company for the time being. After entering the Hall of Fame, the player can return to that house only to find the old man has passed away and left a Pokeball containing the Pokemon lent to him. Uh, a letter thanking the player for them helping him over the last few moments and a comment shard. In addition, the return Pokemon will have a uh, max number of affection hearts in Pokemon Me. However, if the player has a full team, they cannot take back the Pokemon until the spot is made. Also, if the player has already entered the Hall of Fame, they'll need to do it again in order to receive the comment shard. Jeez, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> that's that's rough, man. This is like, oh, you come back and he's... He's passed away. That's actually a pretty um, cool world building little little thing there. Yeah. All right. So this is the music from Lissandra Labs. And this is where we'll sort of move into the legendary Pokemon portion of this uh, this episode. So, when I, I the first Pokemon game of this, these two I played was Pokemon X. So I first came across Exernius for the very first time, and I just love how elegant and um, sort of powerful it looks with its like glowing antlers and everything. So this is from Bulbapedia, and Exernius is a fairy type Pokemon introduced in Generation Six. It is not known to evolve into any other Pokemon. Um. It was one of the first Pokemon to be revealed on the Pokemon Direct broadcast on uh, January uh, 8th, 2013, and is the mascot of Pokemon X, appearing on the box art, and is a member of the Aura Trio with Evolto and sorry, Evolto, Evolto. I, I can't, I can't, I can't pronounce words. My mouth is just dying. Uh, Evolutal and Zygarde. So a bit of the biology. So Xenius is a, a, a quadrupedal stag-like Pokemon with uh, four pairs of antlers. Is the correlation varies slightly between depending on the weather, um, whether it is in its active or natural mode. Regardless of its mode, its body is made is always uh, black with a blue stripe down its back and a short bushy tail. Starting at its knees, there is a blade-like trim around each leg, which forms a point under each hoof. There's an upside-down V-shaped making on its chest in the same color as the trim on its legs. There is a head... <laughs> its head and neck are blue, and there are two large tufts that extend into the chest and curve upward. Its uh, first pair of antlers extend uh, 
extend into its head and curves around its um, underside of its eyes. So in the active mode, its markings and antlers and trim on its legs are pale gold. The antlers have branches and bump and bumps in many colors and are multicolored spots on its back. In natural mode, uh, its marking in the antlers are instead a pale blue color and the embellishments on its antlers and spots um, on its uh, back are darker blue. And it's funny because like, I think a lot of people forget this, myself included. Um, in Pokemon um, Sword and Shield, you can actually encounter legendary Pokemon in max raid battles. And uh, I remember when I caught Xerneas, when it's in um, its Dynamax form, it's in its active mode, so it's all colorful and that. But when you go to the uh, sort of the summary screen once you've caught it, um, and that's when you can see if you've got a shiny Pokemon or not, um, it's actually <laughs> in its, uh, uh, I guess, non-active form, whatever that's called. Um, I know I just read it. Oh, natural mode, sorry. If in, in its natural mode, it's just all blue. And uh, I remember thinking, like, oh, oh, I found the shiny. I found the shiny. Oh, my God. And I go to its like uh, status screen. It's just like, it's not shiny at all. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. It has two different forms or whatever. Kind of forgot about that. But I've also seen on Twitter being like, I got the shiny. I got the shiny. But so it's it doesn't sparkle for some reason. Is that some type of glitch? Is that some type of uh, something wrong with my game? So sorry, man. Hate to break it to you. But if you check the shiny for the Pokemon, it's actually a really nice light blue. It's, it looks completely different. So uh, just a heads up if you're actually shiny hunting the Pokemon. If it's in its uh, natural form, it's not shiny. hate to tell you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just a, just a really um, cool Pokemon. So some of its Pokedex entries. So from Pokemon X, uh, quote, uh, legends say it can share eternal life. It slept for a thousand years in the form of a tree before its revival. And in Pokemon Y, uh, when the horns on its head shine in seven different colors, it is said to be sharing everlasting life. In Omega Ruby, legends say that it can share eternal life. It slept for a thousand years in the form of a tree before its revival. Okay, they just reused it. Okay. <laughs> they just reused it for the um, the Generation 3 remakes. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. But this is... a. Uh, Basically, the, the Pokemon of life that uh, gives gives life to um you know all Pokemon, all that type of thing. In Eveltal, yes, I got the pronouncement right that time. When um when like my throat gets a bit dry from talking for a, an hour and forty minutes in a, in a row, I'm just like, oh, I can't speak. Maybe that's um something I got got to fix. But uh, this Pokemon, it's a a dark flying legendary Pokemon that was introduced in Generation Six. Um. It is the mascot Pokemon for Generation Y appearing on the box art and it is a part of the Aura Trio along with Exernius and Zygarde. And uh, Eviltal is a large Pokemon with both Aravin and uh, Draconic traits. The back of its body is black with white spots along the wings and back. It, its front, head and neck are bright red with branching black lines throughout. It has a pointed beak-like snout bright blue eyes, a black a forward curving horn over each eye and a thin antenna-like growth behind each eye. A, a feathery gray ruff uh, encircles its neck and uh, billows uh, out over its neck. Evolto's uh, wings each have their three spikes along the bottom feathery gray 
uh, near, oh, sorry, edge near the body and five large black claws on the tip. So Evelto has the power to absorb life energy by spreading its wings and tail feathers. Uh, when it reaches the end of its lifespan, it steals the life energy from everything around it and then transforms into a cocoon to sleep. Veltal is the only known Pokemon capable of learning the move Oblivion Wing. So you've very much got uh, the Pokemon of life and the Pokemon of death, which, uh, yeah, it's actually a kind of um, a cool concept to um, take on for these games. And especially with like, I guess that's why the whole story is based across um, such a dynamic um, <laughs> uh, story about, you know, literally wanting to kill everyone. But cool legendary Pokemon. Um, let's, let's, uh, might go to like the actual trio itself because we've got to talk about Zygarde as well. So let's learn about the uh, Aura Trio. All right, so the Aura Trio is a fan term for the legendary Pokemon of Kalos, consisting of Exernius, Evil and Zygarde. The first of the two, which are found at the uh, Team Flare secret. Secret HQ and Pokemon X and Y, respectively. Uh, Exonius is the life Pokemon with the ability uh, Fairy Aura. Uh, Evil Tool is the destruction Pokemon with the ability Dark Aura. And Zygarde is the is the uh, order Pokemon with the ability Aura Break, uh, which uh, reverses Fairy and Dark Auras. Exonius has spent a thousand years sleeping in the form of a tree reviving... Uh, and sharing eternal life, Voltal uh, absorbs the life force of all living things and turns into a cocoon when when its life comes to an end. Exernius comes to attack whenever the natural order of, of Exernius and Voltal are disrupted. Very cool. Uh, the legend the legend in- introduced in Pokemon and uh, sorry Generation Six, where Exernius and Voltal are great forces, being capable of giving and stealing life energy respectively. Xerneas shares life by uh, glowing its horns in seven different colors, while Evolutal feathers near the gray pattern on its chest glow when it's about to steal life energy. Uh, then, when they are at the end of their lifespan, Xerneas releases all of its energy into all the living things around it, while Evolutal expands its wings and steals all of the life energy of every living thing around it. Afterwards, they transform into a tree and a cocoon, respectively to sleep 1,000 years. Zygarde's cells are always monitoring the balance between Xerneas and Evelthal, and whenever it is disrupted to uh, disrupted or destroyed, a Zygarde comes to unleash its wrath. These three legendary Pokemon, according to Professor Sycamore, are incarnations of nature that take care of the land. While Xerneas and Evelthal are simply one entity of one another, um, Zygarde is made of smaller parts called cores and cells. The cores act as the brain of Zygarde. They cannot battle on their own, but they can move around on their own. The cells of the body of Zelgard are scattered over Kalos and Alola. Unlike cores, they do not think or move. So, yeah, pretty good. It's actually a really um, interesting sort of uh, trio just with like all the, all the history and um, all that behind them. So each member of the trio has unique dis- uh, distinctions from one another. So Exernius is the only member of the trio to be a single type. Uh, Eviltal is the only member of the trio not to have an alternative form. And Zygarde is the only member of the trio that 
Um, does not have a mascot game in the core series, has two signature abilities, and has multiple signature moves. So what are those multiple signature moves? Let's learn about that. It won't tell me. I've got to go all the way down here. Bear with me. <laughs> So it's got Lands Wrath. It's got Lands Wrath and a thousand arrows. Okay, cool. What does Lands Wrath do? So it's a damage dealing ground type move introducing generation six. Is the signature move of Zygarde. So it has 10 PP, it has 90 power and 100% accuracy. Um, it does not make contacts. Okay, cool, cool. So kind of standard move there, but. Um, interesting to know nevertheless so really cool trio um i think just the whole sort of take on life death and having like this pokemon in the background just keeping order to both of them make sure you know not giving too much life otherwise you've got a a bit of a problem there but obviously not you know, stealing too much life from people and pokemon as well that's a that's a, that's a big no-no <laughs> all right so let's jump into the battle music with lissandra So we wrap up this, the, I guess, the legendary story there. We get the legendary Pokemon for herself. Lysandra, he does not get to uh, take over the over the Kalos region. Doesn't get to make his own world. You know, kind of sucked in there, mate. Too bad. Too bad. <laughs> so, all right, let's uh, let's uh, let's skip ahead. We're gonna go past a couple more towns, but we've got to get to the Pokemon League because the Pokemon League is where all trainers do end up um, eventually. Um, yeah, unless you're a bad trainer. If you just, you know, you might get sick of the game. You're like, no, stuff this. I can't be bothered beating the 8th gym. is too hard. But um, anyway, let's move on to the Pokemon League. And uh, the Pokemon League is where one of my favorite battle themes in the whole series comes from. And that's the Elite Four battle theme for Pokemon X and Y. And while the battle theme is really memorable, I don't remember a lot of the Elite Four members and even the champion, but we'll do our best to uh, <laughs> to uh, kind of remember them. So there's uh, the members of the Elite Four uh, consist of a Fire-type specialist called uh, uh, Malva, a Water-type specialist called Seabold, a Steel-type specialist called uh, Wick Storm, a Dragon-type specialist uh, Dransna. Uh, uh, and uh, the champion Diantha, who we will go into great detail, well, not great de detail, but a uh, fair bit of detail about. So, before we get to the champion, let's go and battle the Elite Four, and this theme is 
awesome. I think it's my favorite Elite Four theme out of the whole series, so let's get into it. So congratulations, we've beaten the Elite Four and we're moving on to the champion of the Kalos region. And the champion of the Kalos region is none other than Diantha. She is a um, she's a bit of a celebrity in the Kalos region, so you've got to show a bit of respect to her. So Diantha is, appears in Pokemon X and Y as the famous movie star and notable icon uh Notable icon across the Kalos region. She is also a trainer, but shows more interest in other trainers who have real potential. She takes a special interest in the player from their first ever meeting at uh, the cafe in Luno City, and later when she meets the player again at Cormarine City. Uh, later, she appear, uh, reappears as the champion of the Kalos region. So... I can't quite remember exactly what Pokemon she had, but I remember her Trump Pokemon was, um, what's it called? Um, Mega Gardevoir, which, uh, which, you know, the Mega Pokemon in these games, they do have a, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're scary people. <laughs> um, but here we go. We got the Pokemon here. So she's a prominent character throughout the Pokemon series. And while she's not maybe the, the most memorable champion out of the whole lot, she does play a pretty prominent role in, uh, the, in, the, in the region itself, the story. And uh, I think she has a pretty cool presence. But your final battle. So she'll have a Halucha who is level uh, 64. And she also has a Tarantrum who's level 65. An Aurorus, who's it's a Pokemon we haven't talked about. That is the second fossil Pokemon, who was a rock ice type Pokemon. That's a level 65. A Gorgeist, who is the a ghost grass type Pokemon. It's uh it's based off like a Halloween lantern. 
where it's uh, the the uh, pumpkin carvings, and it can come in different sizes too. That's one of, one of the interesting things about this. Like, depending on what size uh, sort of <laughs> a pumpkin lantern you catch, it sort of affects its stats. So if it's a small one, it's going to be faster. If it's the biggest one, it's going to be heavier and more defensive. And a uh, Gudra. I haven't talked about Gudra either. Yeah, I guess uh, you know this Pokemon aren't necessarily my favorite either. That's why I haven't talked about him. But Gudra is the the pseudo legendary Pokemon of the of the of the Kalos region, and it's just it's just like this big gooey, derpy kind of Barney the dinosaur looking dragon type Pokemon. Um, and I, I quite appreciate that too because like you know Salamence, um, was it Salamence and Garchomp and that these are like cool looking dragon type Pokemon, but um, like what they've done in these games where they kind of shake up the uh, the dragon um, type in general. Uh, they sh- shook it up by just giving you a derpy, kind of cute, sweet-looking dragon-type Pokemon as like, one of the more, more powerful Pokemon in the whole region. And like I said before, the Trump Pokemon, the ending Pokemon, is uh, a mega-evolved Gardevoir, which uh, you got to look out for. They'll get you. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh that's the Elite Four and that's the champion and um we'll go on to the uh to uh, Diantha's uh battle theme, which uh, it's okay. It's not the best battle theme, but it's pretty cool. That's it, everybody. After a big battle with Diantha, you finally become the champion of the Kalos region. Congratulations, everyone. You've beaten the Kalos region. You've conquered France. You've gotten all those croissants. Yum, yum, delicious. You've gotten the best style in the whole region. Well done. Well done. So, naturally, you are entered in the Hall of Fame for your accomplishment. Diantha is, you know, she's just a bloody actor now. She's not the champion. You're the champion. Well done. Well done to you. Well done. Good stuff.
So it's at this point of the game where we can sort of sit back and reflect on our journey throughout the Kalos region. And honestly, I uh, I think back pretty fondly on Pokemon X and Y. It certainly wasn't a perfect game, and I feel like it sort of lacked a lot of the everlasting appeal of um, what I like to do in Pokemon games. Is I like to keep training Pokemon. I like to keep having goals and all that but sort of the post game sort of really really did lack in these games but the story it didn't make a lot of sense team flair were just sort of cuckoos and didn't you couldn't relate i feel like a lot of other sort of teams you can sort of go yeah okay i, I can see where you're coming from especially after coming off of generation five where team plasma the whole initial pitch before gets has sort of corrupted them um, did make a lot of sense. You could go, yeah, well, that that is a viewpoint you could have. But, um, you know, just like, oh, you've ruined the world. I'm going to destroy it. So, well, that's not going to help much either. Maybe maybe introduce recycling. Maybe, you know, let's, let's get, get some balls moving here. Maybe not just maybe not just a resort to terrorism. I don't know. Bit silly. Bit silly if you ask me. But it is what it is. And I think the actual Kalos region itself, with Team Flare aside, is an absolutely fantastic region. And I personally would love to see it revisited, especially since the whole aspect of the Pokemon War is one of the more um, interesting um, sort of historical um, events to actually happen in the Pokemon universe before. Uh, There's been lots of fan theories and stuff about how... uh, you know, like Lieutenant Surge and that. They mentioned there was a Pokemon War many years ago and, you know, a lot of fan theories were like, oh, what's that all about? And Pokemon X and Y kind of gave us that insight into what might have happened thousands of years ago. And I think that's really interesting and, um, you know, just people using Pokemon as just weapons pretty much. And, you know, we've seen that a lot before. So I think that aspect of the story was really cool. Just Team Flair kind of made it fall apart. <laughs> But um, just like how it's all based on fashion, food, and all that, I think it's just a really, really kind of unique take on a region, and um, I really do hope we see it again. So, everybody, thank you very much for uh, spending your time with me, taking a journey through the Kalos region. I hope you enjoyed it. But before we take a step back and uh, end this encore, I want to uh, play the Pokemon Cry game because the Pokemon Cry game is a lot of fun. So let's see how many Pokemon I can guess from Generation 6. Because I don't know, man. I don't know if I will be able to. All right. So the start of the thing. So we're going to make it really uh, really easy for you guys. So we've got Esper, Emerites, uh, uh, and uh, Vivion, and... Uh, Drag Algae? Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. So who is it out of those four? Well, I actually don't know. I'm going to say Aromatisse. I actually don't got no idea. So next up, we've got Avalog, uh, Frogadier, uh, Carbink, and Fletchling. That's Av- Avalog. <laughs> so we've got uh, Gumi. Noivern, Tyrant, or Eveltal? <coughs> I'm thinking Noivern or Tyrant. I'm going to go with Tyrant there. So we've got Esper, uh, Spritzy, uh, <laughs> Furfru, or Hone Edge. I'm going to say Hone Edge. So we've got Furfru, Fennekin, Diggersby, or Vivion. <coughs> Is that Fennekin? 
I'm going to say, is that Fennekin or Furfru? I'm going to say Fennekin. All right, so we've got Treverant Gudra, uh, Punkaboo or Inke? <coughs> I think that's Inke. So for number seven, we got uh, uh, Bunnelby, Exernius, uh, Dragaga. No, Drag, Dragagli. <laughs> I'm dying here. Or uh, uh, Barracle. <laughs> okay, so we're going Draggle. <laughs> drag, drag, uh, uh, gull. Draggle? I don't know. <laughs> Fucking Pokemon names. Um, Esper, uh, Diancy, Fennekin, or Barnacle? Or Binnacle, sorry. I'm going to say Esper. All right, so number nine, we got Aromatisse, a Helioptile, a Furfru, or Meowstic. Oh, is that hardest? You don't know. I was gonna say that. I was gonna say that's pretty basic, but I don't think it is. I'm gonna say it's forever. Um. So now we got Bunnelby, Helioptile, Braxin, or um Aromorus. I'm gonna say Helioptile. Oh, this is by far. My worst, my worst, uh, my worst, worst run here. So I got five out of 10, which if you're playing at home, you're probably like, yeah, no, you sucked at that, Drew. So at least I got half. So the first one, I chose Aromatisse. It was actually Vivion. So, oh, that was, oh, that last one's Aromatisse. God damn it. Oh. So, so this was, this was what uh, Vivion was. Well done. I got Avalug right. Number three was Tyrant. I got that one right. Number four was Hone Edge. I got that one right. Luckily, I got this one right too. Number five was uh, Fennekin. Number six I got right was Punkaboo. Uh, number... Oh, I got this one wrong. Uh, number seven was wrong for me. It was actually Exernius. I chose uh, Draggle. Dragagle. Is that Xerneas' cry? Oh, Jesus Christ, that one. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I got number eight right. It was Esper. Number nine I got wrong. I thought it, I thought this was Furfruit. Okay, this is actually Furfruit. Okay. It's very much more like a dog. And I got number 10 wrong. It was actually Bunnelby. I chose Helioptile. I thought of being in Pokemon Sword and Shield, but I've actually played a lot more recently that I would actually be able to recognize it. But I don't. I don't. So anyway, guys, um, I'll be interested to know if you guys played at home, if you're in the car, if you're watching this on your second monitor, if you're at work, if you're playing along at home guessing and you kept count. Let me know. Uh, if, you, if you have Twitter, let me know uh, at idruby or the House of Mario's Twitter account being at the House of Mario. You can also join our Discord community where we can talk about Pokemon and other Nintendo games. That's what we do the best here at the House of Mario. We love our Nintendo content, so definitely be a part of that. But man, it's been two hours and three minutes of talking into this microphone all by myself. So 
I got to, just got to say, if you reach this point of the episode or any of the other episodes in the House of Mario Encore uh, Pokemon 25th year anniversary celebrations, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means the absolutely most to me that um, that you take the time to listen to the content I'm creating and um, especially since there's so much other stuff you can listen to. So I definitely appreciate that. I cannot say that enough and... Um, I'll always make the time for you guys as well. If you ever reach out to me, I'll always message you back. If you've got any questions or just want to play a game, whatever, I'll always make the time for you. So thank you very much. Really does mean the mean the absolute world to me. So thank you. I can't say it enough. Thank you. God damn it. Thank you. <laughs> but um, as with everything, this episode has to come to an end. So the doors to this encore are closed. I'll catch you later.